0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my producer, Steph, and we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio. And I am super excited to have Dr. Josh Levitt on. Uh, You do not want to miss out on this. He is not a typical doctor, he's a direct primary care doctor, and we've had doctors like him on here before. And he's going to talk about how he is able because of that model, he is able to actually help people get off medication. So today, we're going to try to discuss uh, how to get off diabetic medication. Um, possibly, we'll get into antihypertensives or blood pressure medication and statins. You guys have heard about cholesterol medications and statins. Um, Josh and I are right on the same page when it comes to that. And that's um, one of the areas where we became, have just become good friends when we started talking about that because not all the time are people on the same page in healthcare when it comes to statins and cholesterol. So I'm super excited to have Josh on. You want to tune in for the rest of the episode so you can, um, don't miss out on anything. And if you know of anybody that is a diabetic, or if you are a diabetic or pre-diabetes, you want to listen up because Dr. Levitt is going to talk to you about how to get off your medications possibly. So that being said, this is, although I'm a pharmacist, and I'm very passionate about this subject, and Dr. Levitt is a doctor, and he is very passionate about this subject, do not stop your diabetic medication without consulting your healthcare provider first, or any medication for that matter. So please feel free to reach out to me. Please feel, feel free to, um, later on the show, we're going to um, show you how to get into contact with Dr. Levitt. So Dr. Levitt, without further ado, welcome to our show.
1: Sean, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: So tell us a little bit about your model of direct primary care, why you went into direct primary care, and how it I, enables you to take care of patients um, better and um, with more, with more, to add more time to their, to their visits.
1: Absolutely. So uh, like many uh, family medicine doctors such as myself, I began working for one of the big companies in my area. And was seeing a lot of patients per day and felt a little strapped as far as the time that I could allow for each patient and really felt like I wanted to give more time and I kind of couldn't because of, of time restraints and and that sort of thing and documentation, and documentation uh, restraints and found a better way. So I found out about direct primary care in 2017, put in my notice to my big company here and did a, another six month stint with them just as a courtesy for those patients that I had seen for half a decade and then transitioned over to my clinic, which is called Nampa Direct Care here in Nampa, Idaho, near Boise. So um, and as part of that model, we I know that you've had other direct care doctors on the show. And many of the people who are watching probably know that concept pretty well. But for those of you who Mm -hmm. don't. It is a monthly membership model where the patient might pay 50 to $75 per month, month in and month out, but then be able to text me with their issues, begin to address them sooner rather than later. They don't have an office visit charge. They don't have a co to meet. Uh, I don't have to meet the insurance's demands of dotting certain I's and crossing certain T's that don't necessarily mean better care for the patient. Um, And so I was able to get out of the, you know, meaningful use sort of documentation program and pleasing, you know, Blue Cross or Medicare, whomever it was, and actually begin, in my opinion, to spend more time with the patients and begin to address a lot of the issues that had to go by the wayside by not having enough time. Now, I do not mean to say that my colleagues who still practice don't do a good job. That's not what I'm saying. But a little more time does go a long way for some very complicated patients. And so I began this business and this clinic to help those patients and, and actually have a better quality of life myself as a physician. So I am able to spend now an hour with each of my new patients, whereas before I was lucky if it was 15 to 20 minutes and certainly had to spend most of my time in the chart even in those circumstances with 20 minutes. So um, being able to spend that initial hour with the person really helps us get to establish a good rapport together. Um, They, they begin to trust my judgment, which is not the end all be all, but it is helpful, especially with regard to this nutrition, nutrition aspect that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Um, Building that Rapport with your patients and having the patient trust you and you actually trust the patient as well goes a long ways. Um, so now, rather than feeling like every patient who's not succeeding must be non compliant with their regimen, their medicine, or whatever it is, um, I feel like I know the people better and whether they're telling me the truth or not. Okay, that doesn't mean it's still not a struggle in many people to follow good nutrition and to avoid problematic nutrition um but it's it's um i feel like it's a better circumstance it sets it sets us up for success rather than failure okay so anyway that's my clinic here a uh, direct primary care model and it does allow me more time with my patients and during those longer visits or the texting and phone call interactions that we have on a frequent basis that allows us to really get to the bottom of, of some issues here. So, you know, with that, I think we could go into the nutrition, because now you know why I can spend a little more time, I rarely refer to um, a nutritionist or a diabetic educator. And we'll get to why that some of why that is, but I do have a few here locally that I will refer to, uh, given you know, not succeeding with my patient and needing even more time with them, which <clears throat> I don't have unlimited time. So um, I'm willing to spend a lot, but if we're just not getting anywhere, I'm happy to get specialty involved as well, especially the right specialist. specialist so.
0: and, and don't you have a little bit of a health journey, health story yourself? I actually do.
1: I did not know you were going to bring that up, Sean, but I will
0: talk about <laughs> Sorry. <it>. Well, <laughs> I, I like it because It really. I have a health journey also. I mean, I used to be sixty pounds heavier, and um, I think it goes a long ways when I talk to patients that are trying to get healthier and eat better, and because I've been there, I've done that. So, share share your story.
1: Absolutely, no problem at all. And it's not so, you know, private or personal that I would feel too vulnerable going there. And I've told most many of my patients this story about me. So. I come from a, a background of, I mean, intermittent exercise and trying to stay in shape and struggling with, um, Consistency with going to a gym and that sort of thing. Um, I've also kind of dabbled in different nutrition forms. Uh, my spouse, Angelique, uh, was vegan for quite some time and I was what I call opportunistic vegan with her. And this was in a time where I felt like a lot of the, a lot of the specialists were recommending more of a plant based, especially a few cardiologists that I followed at the time and that a plant based, uh, of course, having been brought up in the era of, well, animal fat is of the devil and it's what causes, uh, you know, plaque formation in our arteries and this sort of, um, you know, idea, I was, I was one who bought into that. And so I did a plant-based, pretty much plant-based nutrition. When I talk opportunistic, that means if my spouse cooked something and it was all plant-based then I was totally for it, anyway, my opportunistic vegan looked like a Subway sandwich for lunch almost every day, if I could get it or something in the hospital doctor's lounge, because I worked for one of the bigger hospitals and they had free food there. So a lot of it had, and and you know, sweeteners in my coffee or tea or whatever, um, lots of desserts. And it was because I was a slender man who, if he was actually dedicated to an exercise regimen at that time, as a slender individual could easily get, you know, the modest amount of body fat that was collecting off pretty quickly with the right exercise and yet could still maintain a relatively uh, suboptimal nutrition plan and still stay slender. I was one of those fortunate individuals, but I didn't feel well. And so I ended up having one of my colleagues test me for rheumatoid arthritis. I had joint pain all the time. I had low back pain all the time. I had, I was uh, burning the candle on both ends, charting at three, four o'clock in the morning, um, staying up till I was, you know, till all hours of the night sometimes as well, because I was not super proficient like novel writer in clinic i like to spend time with those patients and do less documentation while i was with them but um so i did a lot of after hours type stuff when i worked for the big hospital company so i also had my testosterone checked because of the fatigue and because of all that and i should have of course realized that it was going to be a problem based on lack of sleep and all that kind of stuff you know but I had that checked, I was hypogonadal, um, or at least potentially hypercortisolemic and all of that. And I didn't actually check my cortisol at that time, but I did go on injectable testosterone for a while and I didn't feel much differently. And there's multiple reasons for that as well, which we're not going into today, but I figured out eventually that I needed to change my nutrition plan. And the way that came about was actually managing my type two diabetics differently because by god i could not get them to improve their a1c's almost no matter what they did okay and we were putting more meds and more meds and more meds and we can go down the list of what we did up until we ended up on long acting and short acting insulin in these type 2 diabetics and i want to go into that and why that's probably not the best idea but I never really saw a lot of results. And of course, when you, when you don't have time to listen, you chalk it up to noncompliance. So you add another med, right? Well, they must not be doing anything right with their nutrition plan. So we'll just put another medicine on board. And then if heaven forbid, if they ever did something right, they would totally go hypoglycemic and, you know, pass out (laughs) (laughs) forever. So, um, anyway, I, it was, um, it was actually a Ted talk that I heard that was going over. We may have to go into separate diabetic management for every single patient because, and I'm so sorry, but I forget the gentleman's name, but he was doing research on the, you know, putting a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor Mm -hmm. on, on 20 or 40 people. His study was, and he could show a different glycemic load on exactly the same amount of the same food for different people so what that did for me was made me say this is not good my job is going to get so much harder if i have to fine tune everybody's diabetic medications based on their cgm and that sounds like a cop-out but it it didn't make sense to me and i thought there has to be something better what is going on so then i started looking into the actual recommendations i've read a couple books. I looked into uh, Dr. Jason Fung's uh, Diabetes Code mm-hmm. and um, Dr. Bernstein's Type One Diabetes Management yep. book, which has been around for decades. I mean, that guy's you know nearly a hundred years old himself, yep. and he's type one diabetic, right? Yep. So I started looking at these people who who were having success, and well, why am I not having success? And it turned out that it was mostly. The nutritional recommendations that I was making or that I was sending my patient, they were getting to a diabetic educator and they were getting those recommendations. And it turns out that they were being told that eating carbohydrates at a high amount was still okay, despite their type one or type two diabetes. And I mean, if you really look into the research and the success rates, that can't happen. (laughs) And there's a reason for it. Okay. And then quickly, I began to see that Glucose is not the only problem. It is not. It is toxic in high amounts to cells, and we don't. We need to maintain that homeostatic level. But if we, if we don't consider that insulin is half of the problem, we are not addressing it well enough. And and that goes for both type ones and type twos. Of course, the type ones don't make insulin anymore. The types two. The type twos do. So it does right. change the management. But it. It doesn't change the nutritional recommendations. And so once I saw that and began to um consider, well, if we do the right nutrition, it doesn't have to be everyone grab a CGM, figure out what you know, whether a cup of ice cream makes your sugar 250 and the next guy's sugar only 140. Like that doesn't matter anymore if we just get back to the basics of. A low carbohydrate nutrition plan is probably best for almost every human being, especially for a type 2 diabetic or, and I would say a type 1 as well. Okay. So I got into that mode. I, I was able to start using it in my patients who are type 2 diabetics, see some massive results, some actual reversal of their A1Cs, and then ability to discontinue or decrease their meds. And then also at the same time, I was doing a self-experiment of would doing this sort of a nutrition plan for me as a non-diabetic, not even pre-diabetic, slender individual, would that be a good idea as well? And it turns out that most of my aches, pains, and and issues went away as well, including, and believe it or not, people who are watching, my testosterone went from 260 to 880, and it was not overnight. It took a good three years to do that. But I had stopped the injections ages ago and for me the the nutrition plan has been three and a half years and i've monitored it at least uh, every six months during that time so i have the progression of incrementally increasing those numbers and and then also it jumped quite a bit with more um not quite a bit probably 150 points or maybe 200 with significant resistance exercise training Um, which I was finally able to get into a consistent uh, regimen because of less frequent injuries, especially to my low back. So um, I'm 41. I look like I'm 81 because of this. (laughs) You look great. But (laughs) I feel like I'm, you know, in my 30s again. And, and, And I can attest that many of my patients who've who've achieved that improvement in their, you know, long term illnesses and, you know, that sort of thing. Can can say similar things that they feel better. So
0: yeah, and and I I haven't necessarily seen pictures of you four five six seven eight years ago, but um you know you're you're built like a man supposed to be built. You're you're lean. You've got muscle mass. Um you know you look great, and it's just a reminder that you know, and I tell patients all the time. I mean we specialize in hormone replacement at our pharmacy, um, no doubt about it. But I tell patients all the time that that is a piece of the puzzle, nutrition. Mm-hmm. And exercise is so important that goes along with it. And you know, perfect example of you know, you raise your testosterone and you raised your you raise your testosterone by by nutrition and by exercise. Your body doesn't you know, testosterone is made is help helps us to you know, um, create lean body mass and you know, stay healthy and energetic, and um, all those good things. But when you're eating bad, your body doesn't really want to produce testosterone because it doesn't need it doesn't think you need it because you're not performing like you need it. So um, it's great, great testimony. Thank you for sharing your story.
1: You're welcome. And I mean, we'll probably, especially that when we ever get to the statin medications and things like that, I mean, the cholesterol, itself is a building block to that hormone yep. and many others and if you have a vegan or vegetarian lifestyle it is really hard to get some of the, that cholesterol well and we say that the liver makes most of it and, and so especially you taking the statin medication to inhibit the liver from making cholesterol it, it's going to be a problem right
0: absolutely uh, and
1: those that cholesterol is part of the hormones it's part of our every cell in the body and so regenerating muscle cells after you've torn them down, doing a heavy workout is really hard. Um, anyway, we'll probably get into some of that when we talk about uh, statins and, and antihypertensives as well. So,
0: Yeah, we should probably devote an entire episode to that, uh, Dr. Levitt, because I would really appreciate your expertise on that. And I could talk forever about that. So let's get back to diabetes medication. So... Give us an example. Yeah, give us an example of a story of a patient that you have that they were on, uh, you know, a list of diabetic medications, maybe even insulin, and you were able to get them off that medication by helping them change their lifestyle.
1: Absolutely. So a couple different experiences, but one in particular stands out. Um, This uh, Latino gentleman who came to me because I I am fluent in Spanish um, and he had just been seen in the hospital for a what looked like an MI. It certainly was not a a STEMI, so he didn't have a stent place or anything like that. But it was a non-STEMI, um, and he was started on he was started on a bunch of medications. He was started on metoprolol and a couple other uh, like a diuretic and things like that. He was also found to be type two diabetic and his A1C was, uh, 13.2. Right. So his sugars had been high for a long time. Yeah. And so what happens in the hospital when you have someone with an A1C above nine, they're almost always placed on insulin and they're discharged with insulin. And so he was also started on metformin while in the hospital, he was in there for five to seven days and discharged to my clinic and established with me. Well, he also, you can, you can look at it that he didn't really, of course he didn't know about the diabetes. It turns out he did know about the diabetes and had been treated in the past, but he hadn't been compliant with that. And so his, his a1c was so high, right. But he hadn't been on meds. So he was started on insulin. He was discharged with metformin and insulin. And then over the first hour of me meeting with him, and educating him on what type two diabetes is and the problems of not only the sugar, because he had basically eliminated sugar. But what do you, what else do you think he was eating as a as a Latino gentleman? Well, a heck of a tor- lot of tortillas, tor- tortillas, right? Right? Right?
0: <laughs> yeah, I right. mean, twenty so, grams of carbs per tortilla,
1: right? He, he and his wife makes the tortillas, and they're phenomenal, right? So oh, this yeah. guy sure. could pound the tortillas, right? and probably eight, 10, maybe more per day so he's he's loading the carbs without really realizing it or then that term wouldn't have made any sense to him then right but with some education saying you know it's not just the sugar you've been focused on the sugar but carbohydrates become sugar in your bloodstream but also it is the insulin and so within the first I mean we controlled his sugars for a while and i didn't discontinue the insulin the first day i met this guy but over time when we were able to show that his sugars were going down with a better nutrition plan i'll get to what i said here in a minute but he was able to carefully cut back on that and it, he was only on 10 or 20 units so it wasn't crazy i have other stories of people on 70 80 units where yeah. we have to carefully meticulously lean yeah. them down there they're going to go hypoglycemic so fast right um the the guys from verda health steve finney and his crew they they carefully wean people down in like six to seven days and they see a massive improvement in the a1c in that time which most of us say how is that it's it's supposed to be a three-month uh window no they actually see it that fast (laughs) so but back to just spending the time with this gentleman and saying okay Well, did you know that the the refined grains that you've been eating, you know, the breads, the cereals, the breadsticks, the pizza crust, the pasta, the tortillas, um, these are a problem as well. And you should avoid them at all costs. And if you do consume them, have it be much, much less than you're used to. Well, it didn't take long for him to do that. And within a month or two, we were checking A1C's and they were down to the ten range. And then a couple of months later, down to the eight seven range. The guy got down to five point seven on his A1C. Believe
0: that's non that's non diabetic. I mean, it's right at right right. Wow, pretty much. I mean, my lab yep. says
1: five seven and to six four is is pre. And yeah. I check uh, fasting insulin and C peptide on everybody and also calculate their triglyceride to HDL ratio and all three of those things tell me whether they're already insulin resistant and I could pretty much just say that's prediabetes whether your a one c is five one or five seven I don't care because if your your um, fasting insulin is fifty and your C peptide is five it's a problem and yeah. you're gonna become diabetic before you know it so you're pre diabetic in my opinion so or in my patients, I say pre pre diabetic just to make him feel a little better. But and uh, I do think it, it affects the prognosis as far how, as far how quickly they can reverse it, which I've seen a
0: lot of. So, out of curiosity, what did his fasting insulin come down to? Ooh,
1: I don't have it right off the top of my yeah. head. But of course, when he was on the insulin, I made that mistake one time of checking it. And like, yeah, that was a dumb idea.
0: Sky, sky high. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, 11, yeah, Of course,
0: you know. <laughs> right, oh, I'm, right. not,
1: I'm, I'm thinking his C peptide. No, that's not right. Oh. It, his fasting insulin when I first time I checked it was probably thirty three to forty
0: or something. Yeah, on like insulin. And yeah,
1: and honestly, I've done a lot of those over the last three years, and they don't always correlate, like patient to patient, they really don't. And and you know, uh, so one guy has it at fifty, and his A one C. If they're already diabetic and they're not on insulin. His A1C might still be, you know, six four, whereas someone else who's who's a uh, fasting insulin is thirty might have A1C of of twelve or ten or something like that. So I wish they correlated a little better. What I do is I look at everything in a broad picture and say, does this look like severe insulin resistance or not? And kind of and, move on from there.
0: And, and that's what's good about you being in a DPC. Um, environment like you are so you can look at labs are not just black and white you can look at the entire picture of the patient and say oh yeah um i see what's going on here and and here's what you need to do instead of looking at it and say oh yeah you're insulin resistant because your insulin's a little high or you know you're your glucose, your A1C is a little bit high, so that means you're diabetic. Well, not necessarily, not all the time. So labs are a tool to go along with the entire picture, to go along with the symptoms yeah. and the history and the entire body of the patient. So that's where you kind of have ahead of the game um, in a traditional, pr- in a non-traditional practice in DPC is that you can spend the time with the patient, and go over all those labs and order the appropriate labs and interpret them appropriately. Correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm willing to spend that time and and most of what you're doing there though I mean most uh, I'm speaking for those of you physicians but anyone really who's interested in how this works um, you know you you get a, a mid belly circumference so you, you you measure at the umbilicus or whatever and see how large that is you can compare that to their weight and that sort of thing you can look at their triglyceride to HDL ratio you can look at their their fasting insulin, their C peptide, their fasting glucose. We always look at that. We most of the time we look at an A one C, um, and you get a good feel for how insulin resistant this person is, or or a pre diabetic or type two diabetic. Of course, looking at the A one C is the gold standard. You can judge whether the the full on type two diabetes is terrible or not. But yeah, that whole picture and those are those are most of what I use and um i find it pretty darn helpful but just in convincing the patient look you have some evidence here that you need to change your nutrition right and then i'll also say so given that evidence though my experience is that if you do that you can probably reverse this without needing a lot of medicine and then um i i don't start a lot of anti-diabetic medications i do like metformin and a few others and we'll go into that right now Um, There are some that I will not prescribe for for various reasons. And I try not to prescribe a few others, but I will if if the person has major, major issues with their blood sugars, right? So you want me to go into those meds that I like or don't like? Yeah,
0: please do. Uh, Let's start with metformin.
1: Okay, so metformin is tried and true. It's safe for almost everybody unless you have pretty significant kidney failure. And then it's, of course, not used. I think it's a GFR of less than 30. Um, and I like metformin because it increases insulin sensitivity. It does not tell the pancreas to make more insulin. It it doesn't trigger a worsening of the hyperinsulinemia. Okay, of course, it's not used in type 1 diabetes. Let's just focus on type 2 for now. Um, and anyway, so meds that that improve the body's response to insulin begin to improve the solution to type two diabetes, at least from a pharmacological standpoint. Right. The best solution is to get rid of the
0: damn sugar and carbs, right? People <laughs> right. so well that's the what best they, way, if, if, if you'll just let me go for just a minute on that. Absolutely.
1: I, I, I can derail because I'm 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 really passionate about this. I'm sorry, Sean, Yeah, go ahead.
0: and well no no you don't have to apologize at all. But I have to I say it over and over again diabetes is a carbo diabetes mellitus is a carbohydrate metabolism problem period right um diabetes mellitus literally means honey siphon siphon it literally means that you are urinating out sugar in your urine that's literally what Mm -hmm. it means in greek now um whether it's type two or type one they are both carbohydrate metabolism issues Mm-hmm. Yes, they are treated differently, but still, I want to make it clear because in traditional medical practices, traditional medicine, we think, and you mentioned it at the first of the show a little bit, that type 1 diabetes is treated completely different and you should just eat all the carbs you want necessarily and just use more insulin. And and you hit on it, Dr. Bernstein hits on it, that is absolutely mm-hmm. not true. Whether you are type 2, if there is one thing, in my opinion, that you can get from this show, and I don't know about your opinion of this, Doctor Levitt, but there's one thing that you can get out of this show is that type two and type one diabetes, you have to monitor your carbohydrate um, intake, and probably the lower carbohydrate intake you have, probably the better. Is that correct, Doctor Levitt?
1: Almost certainly, I wholeheartedly and almost certainly the lower the the sugar and grain and every other carbohydrate intake that you can do as a type one or two will be safer for you in the long run now if you're on insulin or some other medication that will take you very low in your sugar if you don't keep eating a high carbohydrate load then you need to either stop the medication or of course you need to talk to your physician and lower the medication as appropriate so that you don't cause yourself problems by eating a great nutrition plan, and yet taking a medicine that's for generally people who don't eat a great nutrition plan. Okay. So be careful with that, folks, if you're listening right. for yourself. But those of us providers, be willing to titrate people downward, wean people off of those medications carefully when they're making amazing nutrition choices, which is for any type one or two, eliminate the carbohydrates, people, right. because they are toxic eliminate. to your system.
0: Yes. Yep. Eliminate. Eliminate.
1: And if, you, and if you haven't looked into the fact that carbohydrates are not essential, you probably should. There's a lot of physicians out there giving lectures and things like that on that carbs are more addictive than they are helpful. They're not an essential part of human nutrition. And, and we can live without them very healthily, especially as diabetics. Okay. So, and Dr. Bernstein's book goes into that. He He definitely allows for some he doesn't tell everyone to eliminate them entirely. Um, and there are some documented benefits of, you know, plants and the micronutrients you can get from them mm-hmm. and some of the some of the benefits of fiber, which isn't necessarily, you know, constipation driven or, you know, bowel movement, like help helpful for bowel movement and things like that. It's not just that or only that. But um, anyway, so yes, carbohydrate um processing or a uh, uh, metabolism issue totally on board with that and the lowest carb nutrition plan for a diabetic or really i think any human just so we don't become diabetic is the smartest thing and um yeah, i've seen it work and unfortunately um that's not the, the most common way to approach the the management of both of these conditions and that's kind of Uh, where i see our conversation helping uh providers and other people to to maybe change that uh, or at least consider looking into it okay so
0: absolutely Uh, thank you for all that um you're an inspiration when it comes to this it's it's i I love seeing yes i love seeing doctors that actually um you know go to the root of the problem i mean let's fix the problem in general diabetes is a not necessarily type one but type two it's a it's a nutrition issue you know nutrition and possibly lack of exercise but nutrition is the most important so Mm -hmm. let's fix the problem let's just don't treat the symptom of high glucose with another medication right right
1: yeah and real quick before we get to the other meds for type two um type one if if you are a provider or if you're if you have a family member who who is type one or you're type one yourself. Really go back and look at what those recommendations have been, as far as the, the glycemic or the, the glucose recommendations from from your uh, diabetic educator or your physician, and and question whether you know it needs to be as high as it is. The last one that I looked at came across my desk maybe two three weeks ago. Forty five grams of carbohydrates per meal for my type per 1, meal per meal. Per meal? I kid you not, per meal, and it blew me away. And, and for, thought, for an, and, an
0: an adult patient?
1: No, this is a teenager.
0: Okay. And active? Was he super active? He was pretty she?
1: active, but but yeah. honestly, does that matter, Sean? Well, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> it. Right? No, it doesn't <laughs> actually. I mean, if the person right. if the person were to wean down on their insulin, so they're not going to overdose on insulin and not wake up. Right. If they were to wean down on it, yes, they may require a little extra insulin, but they're gonna know about it. Because if they're taking their like Dr. Granstein gets people down to their three units of NPH, you know, twice daily or something like yep. that. Um, by the way, have you ever heard of that in type one these days? No, you haven't. There's no way, right?
0: <laughs> right. Well, I <laughs> so, will say this. I will say this. I have a twin brother with a son. He's 21 now and he's type 1 diabetic and he uses 10 to 12 insulin units of insulin a day. Nice. I and, love and it. And he right? followed, he followed Dr. Berenstein's book. That's how I learned about him was from my twin brother Shane. Well, yeah. so let's move on. We've talked about insulin yeah. a little bit. We've talked about metformin. Let's talk about some of the other medications that you prescribe for type 2 diabetes as we wrap this for show type up. Type 2. Okay. No
1: problem at all. So the by by and large what I use has to deal with improving the insulin sensitivity and trying to reduce the amount of insulin that's in the system in a type two diabetic, because just like we've alluded to before, the higher, the fasting insulin, the higher, the, the level of insulin in the body is a problem. It's half of the problem in diabetes. And it's the half of the problem that's usually forgotten. We overly focus on, uh, high sugars and how they are toxic to cells, which is true but we don't focus enough on elevated insulin causing insulin resistance in all of the cells of the body, which basically makes them very non-functional. And you can think of just about every symptom that can go wrong and hyperinsulinemia causing insulin resistance can cause those symptoms. Okay. Um, it is one of the things that causes peripheral neuropathy that I've observed in certain patients that you, they're not even type two diabetic yet and they have significant insulin resistance. So their sugars haven't been in the 250 to 300 range for years, causing numbness and tingling in their hands and feet. And yet they have the symptoms and it's because they are hyperinsulinemic. And those nerves are not working very well. So think about that on all from all the tissues of the body. If you have elevated insulin and now your body doesn't wanna use the insulin for the many uh, functions it provides, then you're insulin resistance and resistant and you will be unhealthy because of it. Your cells won't work very well. Yep. So think about that when managing and being a type two diabetic, reduce the amount of insulin. The best way to do it is not eat foods that increase your insulin. It's super easy. It's, it's uh, cheap, it's affordable to do. You just don't buy the junk food. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. right. It's, it's a freebie. Right. And, that's the best way. But from a medication standpoint, metformin, the thiaz- thiazolidine dions, so the TZDs like pioglitazone, they also increase insulin sensitivity. The sglt 2s um, they decrease the glucose absorption. And wait, let me let me go into that in just a minute. The um, Hold on. Yeah, that's the only other one that I that I like it actually doesn't improve insulin sensitivity though it just doesn't allow you to absorb as much sugar right. if you choose to eat it but I try to tell people if they are going to choose like farsega or those other super fancy meds in that class of the SGLT2s that they that they would be better off and they would save a lot of money if they didn't just eat the sugar in the first place well right?
0: it, it, those those drugs essentially make you urinate out the sugar right right and, well, and
1: don't they decrease the absorption in the intestine as well? You're right. probably better at the actual Yeah, Yeah, they, 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 mean, they,
0: so. they, they do that also. But again, like you say, just don't eat it. <laughs> right. I mean, if I right? personally, since
1: I don't, since my health share that I have for me and my family would never pay for Farcega or Victoza or any of those meds, Yeah. then I would never pay $1,000 a month or $500 a month. Right when I could just buy, you know, a bunch of ribeye steaks instead. I would totally love that, right? So, <laughs> right, right. and they don't have any sugar in them. So I would be just fine eating that and only that. That's right. Instead of taking Farcega and eating a bunch of Snickers bars, Pop-Tarts and ramen, okay, people? Like it's it, it's a thing. And so that's, that's why we don't want to eat those foods that would just make us need to take a medicine like that. The same goes for meds that I will not prescribe, not only because of high cost, but even affordable insulins and things like that, like you want to do as little as possible. Let's get to the meds and then the insulin. But things like the GLP-1s, Victosa, Trulicity, those sort of things, they increase insulin secretion. And they're really expensive medications, really expensive. Uh, Affordable pill medications that are also, in my opinion, not great for type two diabetic management are the sulfonylurea medications. They also increase insulin secretion. They're insulin secretagogues. That's what they do. Yeah. And they're also very prone to cause, um, hypoglycemic events. And what, what happens is the person forgets to eat the carbs and then they go low because they have a whole bunch more insulin than they usually do. Even though they're always pretty high in insulin, still just like when you inject insulin, the more insulin you get, the lower your sugars will go but the problem is insulin is still part of the bad problem. It's not just the sugar that's the problem people. Okay. And then insulin itself. Um, when I prescribe it, I try to do inexpensive forms. Of course, some people's insurance will cover it, but I don't agree with just willingly nilly prescribing and having the insurance pay for it because then all of us end up paying higher premiums for our insurance right. and things like that. So that's a topic for another day that Sean and I definitely share opinions or share you know, our thoughts on quite a bit. Um, but I, I prescribe NPH when I do, I may do a, a low dose long acting, but I can't really find affordable options a lot of times. So I'll do, you know, Humalog and Novolog as well. Um, but to try to keep the costs under 100 bucks a month, you know, the, the best thing for the patient is to just not eat the carbohydrates and then not eat as much insulin. So it oh, yeah, all goes yeah. back to that nutrition plan. You know? It
0: does. I mean, we, we, we talk about all the time, Dr. Levitt, about how expensive diabetes is and how the government needs to get involved with expensive, which making insulin expen- uh, less expensive and making it affordable. And the reality of it is, I mean, you just said it. If you eat right, you don't need insulin. Now, I get it with type two diabetic with type one diabetic, it's a little bit different. But we just talked about a type two diabetic, a type one diabetic that can treat their diabetes for 10 unit, with 10 units a day. So, you don't need 100 units. So, that's going to save you tenfold in money. And, Mm -hmm. like you said with the NPH, when you prescribe NPH and regular insulin, which has been around since 1983, you can get them for $25 a vial at Walmart. So, at 10 units a day, 1,000 units in one vial, that's a 100-day supply for $25 if you're using 10 units of insulin a day. Diabetes does not have to be expensive to treat. if you have proper nutrition and are prescribed the correct insulin. Correct. Absolutely,
1: I agree. I agree. And then, um, even with, I mean, I, I guess we already said it, but even with our type ones, as long as you're careful to not be taking too much, you know, you're you're just avoiding. You're doing the same exact nutrition plan as your grandparents are doing for their type two, but you've got your type one right, and right. you're being really cautious to not overdo it on your insulin, but So those, those people who are already on it, you know, make sure you go down slowly with your physician's help, get a physician who is willing to do that and you're going to be just fine. But anyway, so there are a few other meds, but I, I rarely prescribe, um, honestly, I've been able to control almost all my diabetic patients with metformin or, uh, one of the TZDs. And if it gets... And, and none of my patients will actually be able to pay for an SGLT two or uh, yeah. DPP four or GLP ones because they're so cost prohibitive, and they all pay me cash per month. And they it's usually because they don't have an insurance that you know they they rely on to pay all of their their medical bills. Okay, so and then I do have patients on insulin. I'm not against it, but I I have to educate. I don't feel good about myself if I don't educate excessively. Every time we talk about their diabetic management, like what are you eating? Please send over the last two weeks of what you, what your log is. I have them keep track, not always, but for a few week period, send it my way. I look at their, the, what they wrote down. I'll even look at the labels of certain foods that they say, well, what do you think of this doc? You know? And so they'll send over the ingredients or a lot of times they send over the carb thing and I still have to have them resend a picture of the actual ingredients and can be helpful and i offer you know my thoughts on those things and usually if it's a processed you know packaged food there's a problem there somewhere not always but not always um anyway and and folks so i've seen a lot of results with this okay these people just by changing the amount of sugar and grain that they're putting in their bodies they are making improvements in their diabetes, and I have been able to de-prescribe a lot of these medications, particularly insulin. Uh, in the rare case where someone is on one of those really expensive diabetic medications um, that I don't agree with, because it increases insulin, then I'll de- I'll discontinue those as well, and maybe start that that um, TZD pill or you know the um, I-, I can't even think of a case where I started an SGLT two rather than discontinued. But, um, anyway, any med that increases insulin sensitivity and any diet plan that decreases insulin production is the right way to manage type two diabetes and really type one, if of course, you're not going to do the other pills that are not you right. know, in a pancreas that doesn't produce insulin anyways. So.
0: But But I I mean you 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 said it those a lot of those expensive medications just aren't necessary. I mean if you have a doctor like yourself that is um teaching people how to eat properly and um monitoring that you don't need expensive medications to treat diabetes. Right. Yeah and and if the med's gonna be a
1: fortune and it just increases your insulin production there's no difference between, like safety-wise, there's no difference between that and just starting insulin. You have to inject it anyways, right? Maybe you only have to inject it once right. a week or whatever, yeah. but, uh, or just once a day instead of multiple times a day. But I would argue to the patient and say, it, you know, if you're gonna do that and, and we've really struggled, there are a few, you know, late onset type ones or people who just completely burn out their pancreas and now their, their C-peptide is low, which is rare in a type two, but it happens. Right. I've seen it a few times then I am going to go to a very low dose insulin. Okay. And treat them kind of like a type one diabetic. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and then the, the meds that increase insulin will not work in those patients because they do work on the pancreas and they increase insulin production. And if their panc- if their C peptide is 0.2, they will not respond to GLP one or a DPP four. Because not. they don't
0: have any of their own insulin, they can't make their own yeah. insulin. Yeah, well, their right.
1: their pancreatic beta cells are unable to produce it, and right. so increasing the synthesis just doesn't happen and cannot happen. No. So you can't make more cells. It's like they went type one, even though they're still type two. So
0: right. Right. That's anyway. good that you monitor those things. So, Dr. Levitt, lots of information today on treating diabetes, and I love it. I, I, I love your approach to it, and we're all about, you know, fixing problems here, not just treating symptoms with medications. Um, so, as we wrap this show up, what do you have a passion for, Dr. Levitt? What's your passion?
1: What do I, I think I've talked a lot about my clinical passions here, mm-hmm. like spending time with my patients um enjoying a better patient physician relationship getting to know them i and when i meet for that first hour you know i ask people about their hobbies and interests and what they do for fun you know what how how does their mental health stay well that sort of thing and then for me uh i'll sometimes i'll share mine if they're you know similar to those patients so they can kind of see um that i'm a normal person as well with hobbies Mm -hmm. and interests and I love to spend time in my shop. I have some woodworking equipment in there. I'm pretty amateur, but if you came to the clinic and you actually have Sean, but um, you you would see some countertops and things that I've made in my woodworking shop that are here in the clinic. Uh, what else? I, I do a little disc golf. I do a little bowling. I, I, I love sports that require accuracy and precision.
0: So yeah, I'm, that's I'm a, why you're a doctor I'm a, former,
1: right? <laughs> I'm a former competitive archer my family did archery as a child as a kid and so we competed in summer games and stuff like that so I, I like the i gravitate toward those sort of activities but um my spouse angelique and our three children we love to hang out together we have a great uh you know home life things are great i i have a lot of passion for living and you know i I hope that I, I kind of embody that and show other people around that life is, I, life is fun yeah. and it's worth living.
0: So. Yeah, you, you, you definitely do. I mean, it shows, it shows in how, how you practice medicine. So I appreciate Thank it. You. You've definitely, you're welcome. You've definitely reached our goal today of educating and empowering um, consumers to take charge of their own health. And I really appreciate that. So uh, Dr. Levitt, what is the best way if somebody has questions, how do they get a hold of you?
1: Contact my clinic, Nampa Direct Care. And, and it's at NampaDirectCare.com. And the the phone number, if you want to contact Jane, my general manager, it's 208-252-9404. Oh, it's all right there on the website. Check yeah. that out. Uh, we have FAQs in there of how the clinic works. Um, I mean, generally, it's a thing where you, if you're an Idaho or Oregon resident, it makes better sense just because you're closer to me. Um, but if you need to, you know, bounce ideas off me, my general manager can get you in touch with me via phone call or something like that. So, um, I mean, most of my patients end, end up signing into or becoming a member of the clinic. Like I said at the very beginning and, and pay a monthly membership fee rather than a per visit payment. And, uh, yeah, that's how I run my, my clinic.
0: Awesome. I love it. So, uh, we'll have you to schedule email,
1: it's on there. Uh, yep. Nampadirectcare at gmail.com. That actually goes to my office manager, but she's really good at um, triaging those and seeing who needs to be addressed faster rather than slower, and we get we get uh, answers out to those folks as well. Okay.
0: So we got so deep into diabetes today, we didn't get a chance to talk about high blood pressure medications and statins, so we will have to schedule you on again so we can educate um, our consumers again, our listeners and viewers on Um, the ins and outs and how to possibly get off their other medications. So thank you so much, Dr. Levitt, for um, your knowledge today. I really appreciate it. And thank you listeners and viewers for tuning in. You're welcome. Thank you listeners and viewers for tuning in today. So this week, Thursday, there is no podcast because Jan and I will be out of town and Jan and I will be, Alex will be out of town Monday. So we're going to take a we're going to take a little bit of a break from podcasting for a while, um, but we'll be recycling some episodes and and stay tuned because we're going to be really active down in Moab. Uh, my, uh, It's a mountain biking mecca down there and I've got a three-day stage race that I am excited to, to be a part of that I've been training for for two years now, but it's gotten canceled a few times so i'm excited to go down there so stay tuned uh watch this on facebook uh, the moses lake professional pharmacy facebook page and my personal facebook page and you can see all of our adventures so thanks for listening tuning in to health solutions with sean and janet needham